0: Live. Live. Live from welcome to This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me for freedom. He put it. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips. Hello, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. we New York sports sophomore and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Films. i got a good show for you this week. We are at Memorial Day as you're listening to this podcast. The baseball season is two months old. We're going to catch up on what's going on in baseball. We'll be joined in just a bit by Anthony McCarron of SNY. We're going to talk about the locals, talk some big picture stuff with the game, and catch up on what's going on in the world of baseball that's coming up today on the podcast. Make sure you're locked in the end of the show for this two-minute drill where we're basically eulogize the next... As we're going, they're down three-one in the first round. Of the Atlanta Hawks series pretty much over. Talk about why, what they can do going forward here in the two-minute drill. But we'll get us started with this week's opening tip, where we're going to talk about where the Mets and the Yankees are as we enter Memorial Day. Right after this, three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we
1: go.
0: All right, opening tip time here on the podcast, Talking Baseball. I wanted to just do a little catch on the mess of the Yankees because as we're talking to Anthony McCarron today, we are talking, obviously, a couple of days after I spoke to him, and some things changed over the weekend for the locals. So, where's the Yankees who had an absolutely dumpster fire weekend? getting swept in Detroit by the worst team in baseball, the Tigers. And they did not look good doing it. The pitching was bad. The hitting was awful. They did not generate anywhere near enough runs. Base running mistakes all over the place. It's an inconsistent Yankee team. It's the way it's been all year long. Because you thought you had good pitching coming up. You thought you had some hitting. You thought everything was going your way. And then all of a sudden, you know, Corey Kluber injury. Luke Voigt's on the IL. He's gone for a couple weeks. Aaron Hicks is done for the season. And it's pretty crazy if you think about this. You look at the Yankee situation here. They're in third place right now. Four right now, they lost two out of three to Toronto. The one game they won was seven innings, lost five out of six. This come out through a very strong run where they basically came off the disasters. April got themselves right in the first place. Right there. The Yankee situation here is the pitching has been good, but you're worried the pitching is going to regress. There's Corey with the number two. He's on the shelf now for at least two months. That's a problem. Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole. He's great. You're not worried about him. Jason Tyone, shaky. Domingo Herman, shaky. The five spot now, Debbie Garcia is going to be back up. He would not look great in AAA. The bullpen's taking some hits. Zach Britton's not play back. Justin Wilson went on the shelf. Roll Chapman Chapman, Chad Grieving, pretty good. But apart from them, there are some issues here. And the A at least is a very tough division. I mean, Boston has not cooled off yet. Their pitching has done enough to complement their strong offense, and the Rays are on fire. I mean, sorry, Yankees fans. The Rays got woken up by that weekend sweep of the Mets. They have been on a tear since then, and they are in a position right now where they could be a big problem, especially they're coming in today. For the last time, they actually could see them for a bit. This is the fourth series already with the Rays, and you look at these matchups. It's not a good feeling this week. Red Sox coming in afterwards. It's a Big, important week for the Yankees who are coming into it limping. And I was talking about this going into the weekend. You say, okay, you know, take care of business in Detroit. At worst, win two out of three. You have a chance to win first place week. Now you look at this week, you're saying, boy, we got to rebound against two good teams and find a way to win at least four games in this homestand to keep ourselves right in the race with these two for a while. You're not going to get many more shots at Tampa this year. Boston, you still have five more series. Important week for the Yankees ahead. As for the Mets, they've done a very good job, given what they had to deal with. With all the guys on the injured list, we've talked about this many times, they at one point had 17 guys on the injured list, many contributors, they're on down to their fifth string center fielder, and right now, as of recording time, after this weekend series, they won the one game they played against Atlanta, the other two got rained out, they are in first place with the largest lead in a division in baseball, which is remarkable. Yes, part is also the off the rest of the NL stinking, but you know the Mets have gotten good performances out of the fillings. They've had clutch hits from Jose Peraza. They've had Jonathan VR be a huge, in fact, influence for them. Tomas Neo's had big games. James McCann has stepped up finally had big games. Francisco Lindor on Saturday night went yard, and you hope that's a sign that he's going to start breaking out. This team is built on pitching; they have a lot of it, and Right now, they have four quality starters. The five spots a shaky one right now because right now it's a Joe Lucchese bullpen show here. But the bullpen's deep enough that they can, you know, sort of patchwork these those fifth games if you're getting deep outs in the other four. Plus, Seth Lugo's coming off the IL tomorrow. He will be activated when the Mets are in Arizona Memorial Day. That's a huge benefit for the Mets because that makes their deep bullpen even deeper. You look at the situation now, the Mets are going to start getting healthy here sounds like heading on this trip, you're getting Pete Alonzo off the injured list. Kevin Villar somehow is going to come off the injured list just a couple of weeks after getting hit in the face, which is absolutely incredible. If you think about that, that's a one tough dude. And now you look at the lineup, all of a sudden it's a little more representative. You know, you got Pilar and Alonzo in there. You're taking two of the replacements out. And then you only have to really start three of your non-regulars at this point. Because Pilar basically plays up in the regular status. Jonathan VR has played regularly before. He goes from the Leos probably to six. And this is a good spot for the Mets because they're getting a little healthier. They have a tough trip this week out west. The Diamondbacks stink. They should win two out of three pretty easily there, especially now that Jacob DeGrom got bumped into this series because of the rain. The Padre series is tough. You have to win. I don't know. You hope for split if you're lucky. Because Padre's are one of the best teams in baseball. You're not entirely healthy. If they can manage to go four or three on this trip, all power to him, because you're potentially looking by the time the next homestand comes around. you are having more reinforcements back. Sounds like Albert Almora and Luis Guillorme going on rehab assignments. They should strengthen the bench when they come back. One of them probably start in the outfield. Almora probably will start out there. And the spot's still Billy McKinney's spot at the moment. You also look at the fact that, you know, maybe at the end of the month, you'll have Carlos Carrasco back. You're hoping Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, Jay Davis, we don't know. He said he be close to a rehab assignment. We'll see. Same for Brandon Nimmo. The point is, this team has done a good job staying afloat and building a cushion, which is vastly underappreciated here because this is a scene that could literally have just wilted when everybody got hurt and had, you know, a 2-8 and eight run in their last 10 games and fall out of first place. They are still in first place and they have built a big lead and they, thanks to the parts of the rainouts, they are up. Big in the loss column of some of these teams. At least five, six games on everyone else in the division. That's a huge advantage, especially as the two rounds are going were a blessing because those are games that they're going to play with guys that are more healthy than they are now. That's two less games to play with the replacement Mets. It's going to be a very interesting run down the stretch here of June because the Mets are in a spot where as they get healthier, the schedule is getting tougher because you have games against the Padres. All seven of their season games at the Padres in the next couple of weeks. They have the Cubs coming back in the finish season series. Washington's coming back. The Braves are in a couple more times. The the Phillies are in there again. The Yankees are lurking down the road. This is a spot here where the Mets can really set themselves up for success here. If they can, you know, do enough, hang on again until more of the replacements come back, more of the injured guys are back here. You could be in for a lot of fun because the Mets, this division is weak. They've done enough, especially winning in the division, which has been huge for them because they have lost one series... In the division this season, after opening week, because the Philly series, I give them a pass on because again, out of their routine, didn't play for a week. They lost one division series that was with the replacing Marlins in there, and they could have won two out of three in that series pretty easily. You're in a spot now where you get to July, you're right there. It could be a lot of fun here. We could be talking about you know, who are they trading for to fill what hole they need because this is also a reason why I don't think they've made any trades yet because the Mets. You don't know what you need yet because so many guys hurt. If, for instance, you know, you can't make a move now because no one's going to trade you now. But if you did and you burn up a chip for, let's say, an outfielder, and all of a sudden you end up in late June and Michael Comfort and Brandon Nimmo are back, you have too many outfielders and say Jeff McNeil is taking a while to get back. in the second baseman. You don't know. This is one where I think they're going to try and hold off making major moves as long as they can, which they could afford to do right now because they're still winning and maintaining their positioning. One week ahead for the baseball, the Mets, the Yankees, very important weeks for both. The Mets are out west, the Yankees at home for a huge home stand. We'll see what happens there. But we are going to toss it now my conversation with Anthony McCarron right after this call from Yes Network, Michael K of Corey Kluber's no-hitter in Texas earlier this season. Ground ball to Glaber Torres, and that'll do it! A no-hitter for Corey Kluber! On a Wednesday night in Texas, Kluber becomes part of forever. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking baseball today. The longtime baseball writer who covers baseball now for SNY, Anthony McCarran is here. Anthony, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Mike? Doing pretty good. I have to say, it feels nice to have the traditional
1: Memorial Day check-in on baseball as opposed to last year's, whatever that was. Yeah, right. Yes. Exactly. Right. This is a very interesting uh Poll in the season right you know where you uh, where everything is and you know maybe you get more of a feel of of who these teams really are yeah i'd say this whole year has been a couple of things for me just like number one the injuries across
0: baseball and gets to the in a second number two nobody can, can seem to hit which seems to be those two big th-
1: things i've noticed big picture wise yeah absolutely um and, and you know the offense is really concerning i mean we've obviously talked for a few years now about the three true outcomes being such a big deal in the game and dominating the action or lack thereof, uh, depending on where you (laughs) sit on the, on the matter. Uh, And it's really concerning now with some numbers being at all time lows and, you know, some strikeout numbers soaring as usual. And, you know, pitchers are back hitting in the national league. So they're going to strike out a ton as well. That's not particularly interesting in any way to me at least. So yeah, we're in, we're in an interesting year, you know, and I, I thought the Met game the other night, um, when, when DeGrom and VR got uh, uh, instant replayed out when, uh, on the bases um, was kind of an interesting moment because, you know, they want more action in the game. And here's a guy stretching a single into a double. Oh, he was off the base for a nanosecond? He's out. And then the other guy, you know, comes off the bag after stealing third. You know, doesn't MLB want... I thought they wanted more steals. He comes off the base for a nanosecond as well. Yeah, he's out via replay too. There's a lot going on in this game right now. Um, not all of it great. Um, I mean it's still a great game, don't get me wrong, but uh you know, there are some issues here. Yeah, the replay thing drives me crazy. Like you said, it's like
0: we're wasting time now, slowing the game down for nanoseconds. Oh, his foot was two inches off the bag for a second, and he tagged him, so he's out. Well, that's not what the spirit replay is supposed to be. I've flowed this idea online. Why don't you think about this? It's like I think part of the problem here is that like the teams themselves being able to challenge has made this an issue. I wonder maybe it would be better if we have sort of like a skybox umpire who's there only challenging when you have blatantly wrong calls, like when the umpire calls the first baseman out when he's like three feet off the bag or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm open for anything that makes it better than it is right now because that certainly was not the spirit of the thing. And it's, I mean, look, fielders are taking advantage of it now too because, you know, they know that that, that teeny tiny window might exist. So they're keeping the tag on. Maybe giving an extra shove too. I'm not accusing anybody of any anything. Just <laughs> suggesting that it might be there. Um, and, and you know, so they're keeping the tag on, and it's a strategy. And that's going to, you know, that's going to discourage people from trying to steal bases because you never know where that element is going to come into play. Yeah, and the hitting thing is also
0: a big problem because you look at we've already had six no hitters, regular season seven. Technically, there were seven because they don't want to count Madison Gomar's won the seven inning game, but like. What do you think the the fixes here to get the more obvious in the game? I know they talk all these wackle things in the independent leagues, like moving the mound back and all sorts of weird solutions. Like, what do you think it is? Because I don't know what it is. Because the way it's baseball
1: is going is not sustainable. Yeah, I call those the circus solutions. Uh, they, they seem to be doing everything. But look, I, I, I'd love it if the game could evolve a little bit. And hitters who are trying to make all their money on – pulling the ball and only hitting to the spots that they are, you know, that obviously information and analytics has shown that they hit the ball to almost all the time. So you put your fielder there and then it's an out instead of a a single or a double. And I just wish that some guys could hit the ball the other way. I know it's hard. I know you've been taught the whole time, but you know, the game has evolved through all these cycles throughout its history, you know, with bullpen usage and the way games are played and, and, you know, the almighty home run, all that sort of stuff. Why can't it evolve where a left-handed hitter hits the ball down the third baseline? If you hit five doubles in a week that way, they're not going to shift you that much anymore. Uh, It's just the way it is. But that seems to be like this rush to figure out these other weird solutions without ever forcing the hitters to make the adjustment. And I know it's really hard because the pitchers are so good now because they've gotten to me anyway, they've gotten the huge advantage from analytics and, and the information age, because it has taught pitchers, you know, you don't have to pitch quote off the fastball anymore. If you have a dynamite slider, throw it five times in an at bat, not just as the trick pitch after you're ahead. 0 and two in the count. So I know it's really hard to hit these guys. Everybody throws 95, but there's gotta be something that that can be done. That's not moving the mound back or forcing the fielders to stay in one place. Uh, you know, there's a whole host of rules that I don't love going on right now. The three batter minimum. I don't love that one either. Uh, You know, all these efforts for pace of play haven't really worked, have they, Uh, you know, and now they're going to, now they're sort of going to adjudicate hitting and, you know, it's not fair to the poor hitters. If you shift over there, Uh, there's a lot of, I, I, I wish I had the answer, but it seems like nobody does. And, but nobody's willing to try the hit the ball, you know, we Willie Keeler, hit it where they ain't. You know, if they shift you over that to the right, hit it to the left.
0: Yeah, I, I have one theory. I want to know your take about this one is what my solution would be. I think it's not as radical as other ones. It's like, this is limiting the size of the pitching staffs where you don't have to, you can't carry 16 guys, 15 bullpen arms, and it forces the pitchers who are now just going all effort all the time saying, okay, we're going to just pump 97 from the start because we don't have to worry about facing batters third time so we have the game by then.
1: Force the managers to actually have to use their starters more creatively. That's a that's an interesting point uh, because that is, I mean, they are leaning on that as a crutch and, and all the pitchers now are brought up, you know, you go as hard as you can for as long as you can, and then we'll take care of the rest. And I, you know, this makes all the old pitchers who are in the game, in and around the game, whether they're coaching or broadcasting or or working for teams, whatever, you know, that, that makes them crazy because they would never have accepted a four and two thirds inning start leaving with the lead, but not getting a chance for the W uh, you know, or, or being satisfied after throwing 70 pitches, uh, even if they were, you know, even if 80% of them were over 97 miles an hour, uh, maybe that's, a maybe your idea would work because it would force, you know, pitchers to work the lineup differently. Like know that you don't have to throw 101 to get the number eight hitter out and you know you don't have to crank it up to full volume every single pitch maybe that would have an impact on injuries too because that's got to be part of what is going on here is that no one ever takes a breather on the mound and you know gets somebody out with something that's not you know the the high octane yeah, I think like factor that in. potential for less
0: pitching changes. You can't just use guys liberally. I think that's a long term solution. Not these carnival games that come up with. Oh, we're gonna start the extra innings that run around second base, or we're gonna play seven inning doubleheaders. Like that stuff just seems like gimmicks. It does not gonna work long well term. The extra inning rule just drives me insane. Because I think, from my personal opinions, like if you want to put it down to the twelfth inning, fine. If nobody's got scored yet, you don't want to destroy the bullpen. But starting the tenth inning that way is not real baseball
1: yeah yeah I agree uh, and and you know the fact of the matter is that they've gone to this because they can't solve pace of play uh, in, in, in any other way. I mean to me, let's be clear about one thing pace of play could be solved by the players or at least they could eat up a lot of the, a lot of the dead time they could take a lot of it out of the game if they just if the hitters just got into the box and the pitchers pitched, Somehow they did it in, and I don't want to sound like a dinosaur saying, well, it was better in the 50 better game in the 1950s or whatever. But they used to play quick games. How? How did they do it? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Everybody didn't have to check their batting gloves, if, you know, and readjust every five seconds uh, after a pitch. I'll go take a little walk around to reset. I get it. These are all, you know, some of them are mental techniques for performance and and, and they work, I'm sure. But, you know, get in the box pitch the ball, stay in the box, pitch it again. And that would help this, that would shave minutes off. And they can't seem to even shave minutes off time of game now. And that's, you know, that's a big problem. And of course they talk about how, you know, the you, players get emails from uh, MLB with a fine in it. And the fine is, is a joke. You know, if somebody was fining me, I don't know what the fine is. A, a, a few years ago when I talked to a player about this, he said it was something like 200 bucks and you know while 200 bucks I don't want to pay a $200 fine but you know if you're making 37 million dollars a year the $200 fine is not enough to make you stop doing w- the the routine that you believe made you into a 37 million dollar a year player and you know that's like asking me to pay a you know a nickel fine uh, you know every time i say a curse word uh, even though it would add up, uh, it's not going to stop me from saying a curse word every now and then. But not on this podcast, Mike. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of the thirty-seven million dollar year players, like the Met fans, I think are very concerned about what's going on with Francisco Lindor because we're getting close to Memorial Day. He's still on the interstate. He can never seem to get comfortable here. We thought we had a stretch where there was like a, maybe like a week period where it looked like he was getting back like, on track, and he's just reverting back to bad habits. I don't know it's the pressure of being the only healthy guy in
1: that lineup right now, but. What's the little concern you think for Francisco Lindor with the Mets? I mean, it should be high at this point. This is not a bad weather in April, rough getting used to your new city kind of thing. This is two months now, and the, he he. The Mets are with all those injured players, seventeen on the injured list now. I I, I don't know if I can count as high as I have uh, players on the injured list, but they need offense. And this guy is not just like, hey, he's a decent hitting shortstop. He's a hugely dynamic offensive player, doubles, balls in the gap, home runs. I think he has, doesn't he have four career, 30 doubles and 30 homer seasons? That's really great, great hitting stuff. And we've seen none of that from him. And I think it should be hugely concerning now. Um, he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself. He's probably saying, well, I've got 341 million things to live up to now. and that, is not helping. I, I wonder if the booing is hurting him too, because I, I wonder if he was ever booed in Cleveland. I mean, he's such a uh, effervescent player, um, you know, completely likable guy uh, who has been so, so good. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the Indians fans were booing him, you know, because he struck out in a may game and now he gets crushed every time he makes an out. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the strategy there is, but uh, on, the, you know, on the Met, Mets fans part, um, you know, if you're thinking this through, that that isn't great. Uh, if you think it might affect the great player, when you boo him, stop booing him. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. He, it, This is a big boy game, and he needs to sort of step it up. And it's a crucial time for the Mets now. This is why he was brought here. Uh, he's not a complimentary piece. He is one of the pieces. And it's time to get going. And, you know, uh, he is – I can – see why people are running out of patience with him.
0: Yeah, it doesn't help. I mean, the lineup around him is completely evaporated, and it's just absurd the amount of injuries they have. Because I know everybody in baseball injury
1: Oh, but he wasn't hitting before, even when all their guys were there. Yeah, that's true also. It's making yeah. it more profound right now that he's the only one there. He's not hitting. R- yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, James, there's nobody else in the lineup, uh, either James McCann, who was terrible for most of the season so far, offensively, great defensive catcher, though, uh, or at least it appears to be, he appears to be, I mean, he's started to sort of come to life recently, and he's, you know, the only other major league hitter in that lineup some nights.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that lineup, I mean, everybody on the scores have been injured. Because we've seen Marcelo Ozuna went down for six weeks. The Yankees, a couple of guys get hurt yesterday. But the Mets, the amount of big guys are getting hurt, all the big positions, just seems like so unfortunate. And the thing that's scary for the Mets is that, like, it doesn't seem like anyone's really close. That's how I made Pete Alonso from returning. And, like, they have a rough schedule coming up. So that's something you have to worry about with the Mets is, like, Yes, they've been good. The pitching's been able to carry them, but like,
1: how much longer can this sort of smoking mirrors game go before they really hit a rough patch? It's a great question. Uh, to me, the thing that really just pops out like crazy is this: all the center fielders, all the people that they've had center playing center field, have, who have gone down. I think it's four now, and and they're on their fifth. I mean, Cameron Maven would be their fifth guy playing center field regularly, which is just crazy because we're still in May. Uh, you know, I, and you're right about a tougher stretch coming up. Um, You know where it's not doesn't really seem like it'll be uh, something they can do to win these three to one games where they get you know their their five hits in the game uh, are enough to get a couple of runs across you know and then you have some atomic pitcher on the mound who pitches great and then the bullpen comes in and finishes it off Uh, you know they may be able to play five hundred or slightly under uh, doing that going forward but I mean are they going to be able to maintain a lead in the east are they going to be able to stretch it out I don't know about that uh, you know as many problems as the Braves still have uh, have had and have had some key players injured as you mentioned they still have a ton of talent and I'd be very very afraid of them yeah and the and the and at least the race is always why the Mets are still where they are because
0: we thought it was going to be the tough division in baseball this year. It's probably been they either killed each other. They're all getting hurt. As of recording, recording on Thursday for the Mets, the Rockies. The Mets, the only team above 500. The Braves are on everybody else is under. So, like, what do you think happened to this division that's sort of underachieved?
1: You know, I don't know. I, that's it's a great question. Injuries are definitely a part of it. Um, you know, maybe uh, I, I mean, to me, the Braves just haven't gotten going um and they've had the injuries as we said that's the only thing I think holding them back because I think that they are I I thought they were the class of the division um you know starting the season I still think they're going to win the division I think the Mets will make the playoffs uh in some form or fashion um although you know who knows with all these injuries uh but you know I think maybe there's a a a dose of that like the, the Nationals to me were a team that that could be good if everything went right with the pitching and, you know, eh, I don't know, you know, they have the best hitter in baseball, maybe in Juan Soto and, and, uh, you know, but it, it just hasn't clicked for them. And, you know, the Marlins was were a pre- playoff team last year, but are they really there? Would they have been exposed over a longer season? last year, you know, maybe Uh, the Phillies, you know, good luck figuring them out because they're constantly have drama there. Um, You know, it's like the Philly, the Philly zoo down there sometimes with all the stuff that's going on with them. So it's been a disappointment so far. I mean, it is only two months and maybe, you know, maybe Atlanta will write them itself and you know, the Mets will get guys back and, and, and the two of them will sort of pull away from the rest of the division. Um, But I, I mean, anything is possible now. Yeah, for sure. I think the one thing that saves the Mets right now is
0: their pitching is so, so good. I mean, they have got, even besides Jacob DeGround, the bullpen's in great, something I never would have expected getting into the season. And they've been getting golly got pitching from Taiwan Walker, he was healthy, Stroman.
1: Peterson's had his moments. I feel like the is the only reason why they're still where they are. Absolutely. And you know what else is good about them that I, I would never I would not have expected this. And maybe it's a function of who's injured and who's not. Their defense has been actually really good this year. Um, And their defense was a huge weakness. They're sort of a a bunch of uh, square pegs and round holes in in some of those positions uh, on the field. And they've actually played well with the glove. Uh, I mean, even, you know, Pete Alonso, who's pledged to be better on defense when he was healthy, he was playing really well, I thought. And, and, you know, had definitely made some strides at first base and uh, you know, Jonathan VR is a huge upgrade defensively at third base from J.D. Davis, although I love J.D. Davis as a hitter. Um, so their defense has surprised me. And, and you're right about the bullpen. The bullpen has been sensational for the most part. Trevor May is really good. I know he's had some bumping, uh, bumpy nights out there, but I think he's a dynamite reliever. Miguel Castro uh, always has filthy stuff, just filthy, filthy stuff. He's been a key contributor as well. Um You know, they, they've got, you know, they even go down the depth chart. I mean, Sean Reed Foley has, has contributed a lot of quality innings, you know, and I know that the, the, (laughs) you know, everybody's flashpoint reliever on the Mets, Edwin Diaz, uh, you know, what are you going to say about him this year? Uh, I mean, the stuff is flying all over the place. His slider is incredible. He's throwing 101. Um, He looks really sharp so far. You know, I know people are still hand wringing over him and they probably always will be, but he's a dynamite closer. Let's shift gears to the Yankees for a few minutes, too, because the Yankees, I think they got some very bad
0: news yesterday with the Corey Kluber injuries out for two months. And strangely, the pitching has been a, the strength of this team, which is nothing I would have thought heading into the season. Like, how big a deal is this Kluber injury for them right now?
1: Well, I mean, it sort of, you know, uh, shows you the truth about this, the risk that they took in the offseason by by you know signing him and making him. You know, one of their big pitching moves, obviously, Jamison Tyone was another one, uh, you know, but but Kluber going down, you know, he had sort of established himself as a legit number two starter tucked in behind Garrett Cole, some, you know, making them kind of a staff, you know, flash forwarding ahead to October, making them a starting pitching staff, a rotation that you would really sort of say, like, yeesh, we got to face all these guys. Uh, You know, Kluber coming in uh, in game two, Um, but it exposes the risk that they took. And, you know, now they're paying for it. Um, If he comes back in October and is, you know, by October and is a factor in October, that's what I'm getting at. Um, Then, you know, I I think then Brian Cashman, you know, sort of can skate on the blame a little bit. But if he does not and he is not a factor the rest of the season, then that's a big risk they took that that swung and missed badly. Um, However, they do have a bunch of depth in the minors. Uh, you know, Kluber going down is going to open up a rotation spot for Debbie Garcia, who probably is talented enough to have already been in the major leagues for the whole season this year. And he's kind of been, you know, he's had a little back and forth going on. Um, so we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get a real legit look at what this guy can do. Uh, he's got a little, you know, big league seasoning now. Uh, he's got great stuff. He's a very good prospect. It's up to him to perform, obviously, but, you know, we'll get a good look at him and they've got some other arms too, who are intriguing. They have produced a lot of, they've produced a a bulk of potential pitchers uh, who can impact the major leagues. You know, who knows if they will. And, you know, who knows if it'll be enough ultimately, Uh, but we're going to find out. And, you know, but that said, you know, Cole, Herman, uh, Jordan, Montgomery, those guys have pitched really well. And, you know, the Yankees do have some solid starters. And it is amazing to me that, you know, we're not talking about their offense bludgeoning teams to death. We're talking about their pitching, you know, carrying the day. And it's been kind of a, you know, even lately they haven't homered teams. I mean, they were, for a while, they were close to the top in home runs in Major League Baseball and they, they haven't hit a whole lot of homers recently. And, uh, you know, but they're, you know, they're still playing pretty well. Yeah. One thing that's not about Clue, right? You're talking about him, is the fact that, Obviously, I'm a Mets fan, and I was
0: thinking about what happened with Johan Santana with his no-hitter after he came back He threw the, all those pitches. Next start, he was, wasn't was great, got hurt, and was never, never pitched again. Not saying I had him for Kluber, but you wonder if the no-hitter was probably a, a curse for him in some way because, yes, he had this historic moment, but coming off the injury, he pushed himself probably further than he's been in a while. We're
1: not that had a negative impact on him. You kind of wish that he had thrown some more pitches during that game getting through, like, the fourth, fifth, and sixth inning So maybe they would have been tempted to take him out of the game. I think he finished that no hitter with 101 pitches or something like that, which is ridiculous. And it's you know 30 something fewer than Johan did when he did when he threw his no hitter. Um, So yeah, you wonder. um, You know, these guys don't throw complete games. They don't have to. I'll use the term that that everybody seems to love in baseball these days. They don't have that many up downs. uh, And he had to do it. Not you know he had to go for nine innings and. You know, who knows? Uh, I'm certainly not a doctor, but who knows if it had an impact, Um, you know, and it's those no hitters are a great moment when they happen. You hope that it doesn't lead to uh, an injury after that. I I don't know if this has, but it's certainly something that that comes to mind when when it happens to start after.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing is interesting to me too with the Yankees is the offense. And I know they have injuries. They have Giancarlo go down. They've been without Luke Voigt. They've had issues with Aaron Hicks, but you look at this team and you're sitting there, you're thinking like, where has the offense been? Like this is a team that's supposed to win with the homers. Like how concerned are you about the fact that they are not hitting like they should at this point?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, concerned for sure. Um, You know, I think that one of the bright spots for the Yankees is that Gleyber Torres has kind of gotten it together a little bit uh, because I was starting to get worried about him. You know, he didn't have a great shortened season last year, although he sparkled at the, toward the end and certainly in the playoffs. Uh, was a big contributor, but, you know, I, I think he's, you know, with him at shortstop and, and the, the sort of uh, mind melding of offense and defense with him, you wonder if his defensive struggles, you know, were, we're going to the plate with him. He's been better defensively. He's been much better offensively, I think uh, lately. And I think that he can take off a little bit and maybe sort of make up a little bit of the difference in this offense that we were thinking of, but yeah, they have not been pounding. Uh, you know, Gary Sanchez, I don't know what, you know, that's that's a dissertation about what's going on there. I, I don't know why. I've been a huge Gary Sanchez supporter his entire career because his skill set to me is unique. He just can't seem to unlock it. You know, he can't seem to get that power going again uh or hit enough to stay in there to get the power going again. Um, you know, is an excellent defensive uh catcher and receiver and has earned playing time, forced his way into the lineup more, and good for him. He's not hitting right now either. Uh, You know, Gio Urshela obviously is a very good contributor. I think they're getting what they can hope for from him. You know, LeMahieu is not one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball right this second, statistics-wise. At some point, I think he probably will be. Um, You know, but Luke Voigt, that hurts. Um, You know, Gardner is in center. I mean, Aaron Hicks wasn't doing that much, but now Gardner is the center fielder. Uh, He hasn't done much. Uh, You know, Clint Frazier, who was supposedly a guy who had taken a huge step forward last year, hasn't done much. Uh, Thank goodness for Aaron Judge. Thank goodness for Stanton. Hopefully he'll be healthy and and get back in the lineup because then maybe they can take off a little bit. But yeah, they have not been the offensive team that anyone expected, including themselves, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I feel like, unlike the Mets, the NLE, Ailes is not supposed to be this hard, but it's seems like it's into turning to all those difficult divisions in the league because Tampa is came back from the dead. They sort of reinvent themselves. Now they're right in first place. The Red Sox are surprised that they're hot start, and Toronto is dangerous. Like, what do you think of those three teams? We think is the biggest threat to the Yankees right now. Is it still the Rays or is it one of the other
1: two? It's the Rays. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, focused too much on who the Rays don't have anymore. Now that Charlie Morton's not there. Now that Blake Snell is not there. They, I mean, they are incredibly intelligent uh, with the way they acquire players. Every time I hear that they've made a trade, it like, you know, they made that trade with Milwaukee last week. And it makes me afraid. Like, who did they get? And what are they going to make this guy <laughs> into? You know, and i it's just, it's amazing what they've done. And I think they're easily the top threat. Plus they get under the Yankees' skin Uh, In a way that no other team does Um, not even I mean, the Red Sox, they obviously have the historical rivalry there. But I don't think there's the kind of, you know, rippling animosity that there is between the Yankees and the Rays right now, which is interesting, you know, so I think that they're a big problem. You know, they pitch, they catch, they get enough hits. Um, uh, They're, they're good. This is not going to stop.
0: No, I think the Mets woke them up, too, because that series, they were kind of scuffling into that series of the Mets. They sweep the Mets down there. They've won, I think, 9 or 10 or 11 since. I feel like that's the series that woke the Rays up.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, yeah, I think they ended up winning 11 straight, didn't they, before they lost the game? And and that's, you know, yeesh. That's how you get to first place, uh, you know, toward the end of May, even after, you know, not playing well for a while and and, you know, being kind of disappointing to yourselves. I mean, they're, you know, they're tough and they have some guys who haven't hit much either. Um, but, you know, you, you you better fear a team that is like, yeah, we'll trade our starting shortstop who helped us get to the World Series last year. We'll trade them in May next the next season. No biggie. And, you know, that's what they did. And yikes. Yep.
0: Yikes, indeed. Anthony, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow me keep up with your coverage for SMY?
1: Well, uh, you can always watch uh, Baseball Night in New York. Uh, I I, I appear on that show um, uh, fairly regularly and uh, SNY.TV for some uh, written word stuff. Um, I contribute to uh, places like uh, the New York Daily News, uh, Baseball Digest, uh, Athlon Sports, some other places. So, uh, yeah, uh, check it out. I'm on Twitter, Um, you know, and, uh, you know, let's get some good baseball talk going. Absolutely. Anthony, thanks for all time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet, Mike. Anytime. The two-minute drill.
0: All right, two-minute drill time. Going to Ewell the and New York Knicks a little bit. I know the, the season's not over yet. They are down 3-1 to the Atlanta Hawks, but this series is over. If you have watched these games, the talent disparity between the Hawks and the Knicks is enormous. Julius Randle has not been the same player in the playoffs, he was during the regular season. The Hawks have done a very good job throwing things at him, throwing the kitchen sink at him, whether it's doubles, triples in some cases. He isn't, they're forcing into those difficult mid-range shots, Play the entire defensive intensity he's faced all season, and he's not hitting them. That's problematic. RJ Barrett has not been as big a factor as he was in the regular season. And you see, just watching the games, the talent that the Hawks have on the offensive end of the floor, whether it's Bogdanovich whether it's John Collins, whether it's Kevin Herter, whether it is DeAndre Hunter, they have so many weapons on offense and the Knicks cannot score with them. And this is a series where the Knicks have played this playoff intensity all season long. And when has raised its level defensively, the Knicks have not be able to match because they cannot outscore the Hawks. Trey Young has killed them the entire series, which is obvious because the Knicks have no one to really guard him. Apart from Derrick Rose, nobody's had a good series. That's the the truth of the matter. Alec Burks had a good game one. Reggie Bullock had a good game two. Nobody else has had a consistent impact throughout the series besides Eric Rose. And that explains a lot about why the Knicks are where they are. And you know what? Is it disappointing? Yes. But at the same time, people forgot what this team was supposed to be at the end of the season. Their win-loss total entering the year was 21.5 and a 72 game season they're projected to win 22 games at most mike vorker and all the athletic i had him on the podcast he gave me the season he said a good year for the knicks would be you're getting improving out rj barrett some of the young pieces starting developing and fading together you get culture built they made the playoffs that's success are you disappointed they didn't go out harder sure because you look at it, the way the series has gone outside of a monstrous quarter and a half in game two they could have been swept now, they might still win at the Garden on Thursday. The crowd picks them up, but I don't see them winning three games in a row because it's Atlanta offense. And that's okay, but they still have a lot of work to do. Julius is a good piece to have on around here. We've learned, and nothing we expected, he cannot be the number one option on a playoff championship contending team. R.J. Barrett, first playoffs. We'll see if the experience helps him going forward, but you cannot be thrilled with what you saw. He's still an important part of the foundation, though. I would bring Derek Rose back. Obviously, he's been the one guy who's been contributing in this series. Taj Gibson forced into money more minutes they should be playing because Nerolan Noel has hurt. Mitchell Robinson being out has killed them because having Mitchell Robinson would have made a big deal against Clint Capella down low. Missing that presence down low is important. The Knicks have some decisions to make this offseason. What do you do with Mitchell Robinson? Do you pay him in restricted free agency or do you re up Nerolan Noel and try and reallocate that money elsewhere? This team needs a league guard. Alfred Payton is not it. That's why he's in in the rotation. You need to find someone who can play these minutes because Derrick Rose cannot play that role all season long. He's able to do that in the playoffs because they have off two, a game or two, a day or two after every game. Can't do that in the regular season. You need a lead guard in here. They need more shooting, too, because all due respect to Bullock and Burks, they are not the kind of guys who should be starting on playoff teams. They can be good role players. They shouldn't be playing major, major It's like they have to do with the Knicks. The question is how you find those things. Because the the key for the Knicks right now, I think, is you got to figure out what to do with Randall long term. Because you want him here, but you don't want to overpay him. You also have to figure out how we keep ourselves relevant so that the next time the star hits the market, they look at the Knicks and say, boy, the Knicks are good. If I go there, I can put them over the top. This is what the Nets did. This is how the Nets ended up with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving were able to trade for James Harden because they built up these assets. They had a competitive young team. They had the culture. They attracted the stars. You cannot have this year and then next year be a 25 win team and hope to attract stars. You have to find a way to be competitive next season and be in the mix of the playoffs at minimum. Preferably get in there, maybe as a six or seven seed, because I think the four was a bit of a fluke this year. You can get in that mix and play in the playoffs again, maybe you're convincing the star who, who's on his way out of a t- situation and say, you know what? I want to come to New York. You need to do that. But in the meantime, find more shooting, whether that's through the draft, whether that's in free agency. This team needs to be able to find more offensive punch because the offense they have is not good enough right now to beat the elite teams in the NBA. The stars will have to be a later problem. For now, maintain what you've built. Be competitive again next year. 22 free agency. You have your cat space. And this is the key is that you don't want to blow it all for Alonzo ball or Kyle Lowry, 35. You got to be smart with your money because you can retool on the fringes, build yourself a competitive team. And in the future, the key here is you want to be able to be in positions. When that star hits the market, they say, I want the Knicks. I want to go to New York. You want to be able to sell that as your key year and say the Knicks are my destination. You can take this serious what it is. It's disappointing for sure. But remember, there is still a lot here to build on. This year was a good year. Building on next year is the key to where they're going beyond that. And that's it for this week's show. I thank my guest Anthony McCarron for hopping on the line to talk about the baseball, all that good stuff stuff to like this podcast, including my preview of the 2021 French Open, the first round tipped off today at, over in Paris. Check out the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just And The Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free of your feedback and starring as well. They'll make the podcast even better going forward. You also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can check out our individual conversations there, including my chat with Anthony McCarron is up on the YouTube page as we speak. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's mphilips i p s three three one. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to take a deeper dive into the Yankees as they assess what they look like coming off this big week. The Sky guys are back for more Clone Wars and more until they hope you have a better week than Yankee fans.